Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. I am so glad that you could join us today because I'm very excited about this show. I get excited about all sustainability topics, but if you've been listening to my show for a little while, you know I get particularly geeky about energy. And it's, today we've got a big story for you. There are several, uh, I believe it's up to nine now, community choice aggregators in California who have joined forces in a new joint powers authority to combine their buying power and leverage um, their buying power. And if you're not sure what any of that means, don't worry about it. That's what this show is for. You're going to know by the end of this episode. We have the perfect people to help us understand. We've got the CEO of Peninsula Clean Energy, Jan Pepper. We've got the CEO of Silicon Valley Clean Energy, Garish Balachandran. We've got the Chief Operating Officer for East Bay Community Energy, Howard Chong. And we've got the Director of San Jose Clean Energy, Lori Mitchell, with us. And Jan, we're going to start with you. Welcome to Go Green Radio. I'm thrilled that you're on. And I'd like to have you explain to our listeners what a community choice aggregator is and why this is becoming such an attractive option for California municipalities. Thank you, Jill. It's really great to be here. And thank you for having all of us on the show this morning. Um, Back in 2002, California passed a bill uh, called AB 117 as a result of the energy crisis that allows customers to aggregate their electrical loads as members of their local community with what's called a community choice aggregator. And the city council or the county board of supervisors votes to have their jurisdiction become a part of the community choice aggregator program. This community choice aggregator, or CCA as we call it, then takes on the energy procurement tasks to source electricity for all of the residents and businesses in those jurisdictions. For example, for Peninsula Clean Energy, which is the CCA uh, that I run, we are the community choice aggregator for San Mateo County. That's the county just south of San Francisco. And each of the 20 cities and towns in the county, as well as the county itself, voted unanimously to be a part of Peninsula Clean Energy back in 2016. So now, rather than having PG&E source the electricity for everyone in the county, Peninsula Clean Energy does that, and we provide a cleaner and greener electricity product at a lower rate than what PG&E previously provided. So this is becoming an attractive option for California municipalities as it gives local jurisdictions the ability to have a say in how their electricity is produced and have it reflect their values, whether it's for higher greenhouse gas-free power or more renewable energy content, lower prices, local sources, whatever the particular interest is. And because these are local government agencies, they have regular public meetings where decisions are made And the governing boards are made up of local elected leaders who listen to their constituents and make decisions that reflect what their constituents want because they want to be reelected. 
And uh, as not-for-profit agencies, we aren't trying to increase the stock price of our, uh, mm-hmm. of our entity. Rather, the customers, the ratepayers, the owners, they're all one and the same. So we're all mm-hmm. in alignment as to what we're trying to accomplish. That that's a great explanation. And Garish, I want to bring you in. Um, I'm so glad that you could join us as well. Help us understand the difference between the way that a CCA or community choice aggregator is governed and the way a standard utility company is governed. For those of us who follow this stuff, it's you know, we know the answer, but for the everyday American, help us understand the difference in that governance structure that Jan was alluding to. Thanks, Jill. Uh, I'll just start with Silicon Valley Clean Energy. We serve about half of Santa Clara County, and we we have 13 cities in our CCA. As Jen was saying, our CCAs are governed by local elected officials. So we have 13 cities, and so we have an elected official from each of those cities on our governing board. CCAs run open meetings, Compared to private utilities or what you call the standard utility company, uh, they are essentially governed by uh, a board. Uh, We have all our meetings are conducted in public. They are open meetings, uh, unlike a private company where strategy, etc., is discussed in private. Uh, We are a non-not-for-profit agency unlike standard utility companies, which are for-profit. So it comes down to accountability. Uh, We are accountable to our customers, whereas standard utility companies, the accountability is to their shareholders and making a profit. Uh, So alignment is a huge difference where we are aligned with our customers' interests because our customers and our quote-unquote shareholders are one and the same. Whereas in a standard utility company, uh, the shareholders' interests uh, could differ from customer interests. Uh, so uh, that's essentially how we differ. Big difference. Big difference. Thank you for that, Garish. Howard, I want to bring you on. We're glad to have you on the show. Tell us a little bit about what this new Joint Powers Authority will allow your entity, the East Bay Community Energy, to do that it cannot currently do as a loan community choice aggregator. Good morning, Jill, and thanks so much for having me today. Uh, You know, fundamentally what this GAPA does is give us all greater economies of scale and greater buying power as a result of that. There are certainly big and small CCAs amongst us. Um, Some serve multiple counties and cities, and others serve much smaller communities. For a small CCA, it is really meaningful to get greater scale and buy with a group of CCAs, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. For EBCE, we are already a, a pretty large CCA. We serve Alameda County and parts of San Joaquin County. We're the second largest CCA in California. So we're pretty comfortable buying from some pretty sizable, say, solar and wind projects. Um, they can be quite large already. But, you know, projects can certainly be even, even larger, right, um, especially among some uh, other, <clears throat> excuse me, among other emerging technologies. So, with the JPA, we really remove any limitations on that. And to give you a sense, you know, at our collective size, uh, with just the current CCAs that have joined the JPA, we now buy more power than PG&E currently buys. And wow. that really puts us among the largest energy buyers in the country. 
So at the end of the day, what that really translates to is lower energy costs to our customers. And that's fundamentally the goal of the JPA. Thank you for that, Howard. That that was really important information for us to understand. That's, you know, that's something that I did not glean from the press release that I saw about this JPA, that kind of buying power. Lori, I want to bring you in. I'm so glad that you could join us as well. You know, because Howard did talk about some of the CCAs that are involved in this new Joint Powers Authority are, are smaller than others, um, you know, and, and I'm wondering how the JPA will safeguard it's members who may not wish to participate in every joint project. What's built in to protect them? Yeah, good, good morning. Thanks so much for having us on this morning. I think that's a great question and something that in the formation of this new entity, we really thought um, very thoughtfully about and have taken a lot of great steps to protect members. So the main um, mechanism that protects members is that each project will have a project agreement. So all of the expenses and costs and benefits of projects are handled in a project agreement. And each of the member CCAs can determine which projects they want to participate in. So that's really important so that we maintain that local preference and that local control. So um, CCAs may participate in, in certain types of projects and decline to participate in others, and I think um, that's really important. And then secondly, I would say um, in the um, agreement for CC Power, you know, I um, am the Director of Community Energy for the City of San Jose CCA, so we're a single city, obviously a very large city here in California. We operate as a department within the city and the agreement for us and also the city of San Francisco, who hopefully will join uh, the JPA soon, um, we have limited the obligations um, for the project to our designated fund at San Jose Clean Energy, so that further protects our general funds for Mm -hmm. San Jose. So, you know, really important that we've all thought very long and hard about those issues and taking steps to protect our member communities. That's that's good. I mean, that's part of the promise of a community choice aggregator, you know, is, is some of this local control. So that's really good. And Jan, you know, before we go to a commercial break, Howard talked to us about the, the size of this new JPA in terms of how much energy will be purchased. But give us um, some idea of how big this new entity, California Community Power, is in terms of geography and the residents served. Yeah, it's uh, it's big. It spans from Humboldt County in the north, which is almost to the California-Oregon border, to Santa Barbara County in the south, and from the Pacific Coast to the Central Valley. So there's a great map on the website for this agency, cacommunitypower.org, that shows the extent of the CC power geographically. And then as far as the number of customers, it serves... about 2.6 million customer accounts, which represents about 6.6 million people across more than 140 municipalities. So um, as Howard said, it's slightly larger than PG&E's electricity load, and it's Mm -hmm. actually three times as large as San Diego gas and electric loads. That's pretty uh, significant. That is significant. Well, we are going to take a quick commercial break, but we have so much more to talk about. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. 
news, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Colvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Colvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. In case you've just tuned in, let me catch you up. Um, we are talking today about a significant new development in the the energy uh, infrastructure and governance and and uh, delivery in the state of California. There are nine. Uh, community choice aggregators who have joined together in a joint powers authority that is going to be called or is called California Community Energy. And and this is something that is is really a shift in the way that communities can receive their power and get a say over what kind of energy uh, they get. And so uh, this new JPA, this new Joint Powers Authority is a big, big deal. Garish, I want to go back to you and I want to have you talk to us a little bit about this model of joint powers authority. It's not new, right? I mean, give us some context to understand how this st- structure has been successfully used by municipal utilities for quite some time. Yeah, so uh, joint powers authorities or joint action agencies, it's actually something that's available to public agencies across the country. And essentially, when municipalities have common interests, 
but they may not have the customer scope or the geographic scope to achieve their goals. They can collaborate with other similarly situated municipalities and create a joint powers authority. In California, we've had a real successful history of joint powers authorities. In Northern California, we had the Northern California Power Agency, which is a group of 17 cities that has been around for more than 50 years. They have come together to build geothermal plants, hydroelectric plants, and more recently, they've gotten to wind and solar storage. We had the Transmission Agency of Northern California, uh, again, about 10 cities, and they have built trans- transmission lines between Oregon and California to basically bring down cheap hydroelectric power. In Southern California, we have the Southern California Public Power Authority that has been around for more than 30 years, and they've also collaborated not just for uh, renewables and uh, power projects and transmission, but they also do a tremendous amount of work in energy efficiency and delivering those services to their member cities. So there's really a long tradition of collaboration and using the JPA model for the benefit of those end-use customers. Thanks for that, Garish. That's really important to know because especially after some of the news we've been seeing this week out of Texas, um, you know, I can imagine that everyday Californians might be a little skittish if they thought that this configuration, this new JPA was something untested, um, but it's not. Howard, I want to bring you on, and I, I have a question for you. Will this new Joint Powers Authority address energy transmission and more reliable infrastructure? Transmission and more reliable infrastructure. You know, I, w- I would say absolutely yes on more reliable infrastructure. Reliability is more critical now than ever. Uh, you already hit on, you know, one of the main reasons why we're, we're seeing a historic snowstorm and cold front uh, across Texas and most of the country right now. That's really hit the uh, electrical grid uh, down there. Uh, and the significant heat wave last summer in California that we all in, uh, all experienced, that's, of course, another example that highlights the need for better reliability. We're seeing across the country more weather extremes, uh, really in all directions, hotter, colder, wetter, and drier weather extremes. So this JPA is not just about buying larger projects. Um, The goal really is to go with larger projects for certain technologies where it really makes sense. Uh, Different types of storage, such as long-duration storage, as an example, uh, that really improve reliability. Uh, Oftentimes, those types of technologies require larger projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, the JPA can also look at more expansive distributed energy programs, for example, residential rooftop solar and storage mm-hmm. that can also build a greater reliability. So small projects in that case, but that can benefit from group buying, of course. Absolutely. For transmission, it's uh, certainly a bit more complicated. Um, transmission can be very expensive. And so we'd have to take a very hard look at that type of investment. But uh, the JPA certainly is a way to be able to pool our funds in order to make that kind of investment if, if it makes sense in order to bring more renewables online. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. So, Lori, I want to bring you on. I'm sure that when all of these community choice aggregators got together to form the JPA or the Joint Powers Authority, um, you had some ideas of what would be your top tier projects that you'd go after first. So, talk to us about the types of projects that this new JPA is going to be focusing on. Yeah, that, that's such a great question. So, you know, just to expand a little bit on what Howard was saying for more reliable infrastructure, one of the, the first focuses of our JPA is to procure long-duration storage. So those are storage technologies that can generate for eight hours or more. And really the focus there is to meet the evening demand needs that we see here in California and particularly in the summer and when we get those hot days. So it's really exciting. Um, you know, there, there's been a lot of work um, in the marketplace really encouraging new technologies and to respond to the RFP that we've put out there and we're in the middle of evaluating those different types of technologies and projects. Um, and I think one of the most important things about this new JPA and um one of the benefits to all of our members, CCAs, is it allows us to take a look at all those different types of technologies, and we know that many of them are new, and they're still being developed and commercialized, um, but we can take a look at that collectively and really mitigate our risk to help innovate and help uh, bring new technologies online, which we know we need as we further decarbonize the grid but also manage our risks more collectively. So I think that's really important. But then, you know, the JPA is written very broadly. So there's a number of different types of projects the JPA could consider. So right now we're looking at long-duration storage. Um, We also may procure more renewable energy projects. Um, And then we could also procure, you know, other decarbonization projects that are more distributed, so it specifically calls out heat pump water heaters, electric vehicle charging services, um, and we could also use the JPA to, you know, gain efficiency in some of our operating services, so our CAISO scheduling, um, also the financing of some of these projects mm-hmm. it could be helpful for. So there's really a broad array of projects that uh, the JPA could focus on and, and really important for each CCA is, as we do uh, transit, you know, really transform the grid into mm-hmm. a much more decarbonized and, and more reliable structure. Fantastic. Uh, Jan, you know, you've got such a great background. I want everybody to read your bio that's, you know, up on my show webpage. Uh, And you actually helped pioneer the first use of renewable energy credits. And I'd love to have you give our listeners a quick explanation of what those credits are and how the JPA will administer RECs associated with joint projects. That's a great question, Jill, and happy to answer that. So what is a renewable energy credit or a REC, as we call it, REC? So if you look at the production of renewable energy, we can break it into two parts. So one is the electrical energy, which are the electrons that go into the electricity grid that mix with all the other electrons, no matter whether they're renewable or not. And then the second part is the renewable energy credit, And this renewable energy credit means that there was a certain amount of electricity generated 
from a renewable energy source, and it's typically measured in megawatt hours. And the renewable energy sources in California that we look at, um, California has defined renewable energy as solar, wind, geothermal, small hydroelectric resources, biomass resources, and some other resources that aren't as commonly used right now, wave power and things like that. And because these renewable energy sources are non-polluting, the RECs have a value associated with them. And these renewable energy credits are issued and tracked in an accounting system. In the Western U.S., it's called the Western Renewable Energy Generation Information System. And California has a requirement that a certain percentage of energy come from renewable energy sources, and the RECs are the mechanism for tracking that this requirement has been met. Other states do this too, and in fact, RECs are the currency that is used across the globe to track and measure renewable production. So if the JPA decides to develop a renewable energy project, I shouldn't say if, if and when we do, (laughs) every megawatt hour of renewable energy generated from that project will have a REC associated with it, and then those will be distributed to each JPA member based on the percentage of the project that um, they have that they own or or have contracted for. That's really cool. And I know, you know, we see RECs in terms of, you know, any corporate uh, sustainability report that, you know, where they're working on clean energy, REC is everything. You see that in all of the sustainability reports for um, large entities that are that are trying to track their clean energy use. And so that you're exactly right. That's the currency. And thank you for helping explain that to the, to the layperson. Garish, your board of directors recently adopted the Building Decarbonization Joint Action Plan. And I'd love to give you an opportunity to tell our listeners a little bit about that plan. Thanks, Jill. So we've talked a lot about electricity here. Uh, but when you think about uh, our greater goal, it's about lowering emissions. And emissions come from buildings and transportation, too. In our service area, almost 30% of emissions comes from buildings and about 40 from transportation. So the Building Decarbonization Action Plan uh, is looking at how we can lower emissions from buildings. And this is really complicated and multilayered. Uh, as complex as electricity is, this gets to a much different level. And so our board has uh, looked at how can we change public policy? How can we transform the market? How can we offer retail products and services? And how can we increase our education and outreach uh, in order to lower emissions from buildings? So they've actually adopted a three-year action plan uh, and allocated $6 million and have six actions that we're going to implement over the next three years. And these include things like uh, changing codes for existing and new buildings, doing a feasibility assessment for phasing out natural gas by the year 2045, uh, adding local policies to decarbonize existing buildings, provide accessible financing to customers to have this transformation uh, be more practical and viable. At the same time, we really recognize 
there's only that much we can do. So we have a sphere of control, but we can influence in a much larger way. So it really, uh, we are also going to be working on regional coordination uh, with other agencies in the Bay Area and the state uh, to lower building emissions. Our that plan is, so is on our website. And uh, yeah, there's a lot more detail in there. Yes, absolutely. And just before we go to commercial break, tell us where we can find your website. Our website is svcleanenergy.org. Perfect. Check it out, guys. This is a very exciting plan that they've instituted. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more to talk about. So please don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And if you've just joined us, let me catch you up. Our guests today are Howard Chong from the East Bay Community Energy um, CCA. We've got Jan Pepper, the CEO of Peninsula Clean Energy, Lori Mitchell, Director of San Jose Clean Energy, and Garish Balachandran, CEO of Silicon Valley Clean Energy. And they're talking to us about an exciting new joint powers authority that um, they have entered into and five other community choice aggregators have entered into to create um, California community power, which is um, 
a, a really big new organization to procure clean energy uh, under local control. Elected officials are part of the boards and part of the uh, governance of each of these community choice aggregators. Um, and this is, this is a real game changer for energy, especially clean energy in California. Howard, I want to bring you back on. You know, your background in finance makes you the perfect person to help our listeners understand how CCAs and now the new JPA are able to procure clean energy at a cheaper rate than utility companies that have been purchasing electricity for decades. How is that possible? Sure, that's a great question. So, you know, there are a number of ways that CCAs feel that we can differentiate from traditional utilities, of course, but providing cheaper rates is certainly one of the most important ones and perhaps more so now than ever, given how hard some of our customers have been hit during this pandemic. So we certainly uh, acknowledge that and are always finding new ways to do that. So how do we provide cheaper rates? Um, there are a few different ways, one of which we've already touched on, which is you know, greater size, uh, provides greater economies of scales and can help bring down energy costs. And that's something that the JPA really helps us do. Uh, in addition to that, of course, as we mentioned earlier, we're all public agencies that serve municipalities. So we are not profit-seeking entities and therefore are tax-exempt. And that means we can raise debt at lower levels than a, an investor-owned utility like a PG&E or an SCE. Uh, naturally, large infrastructure, large energy projects require a lot of capital. And typically, there's a lot of debt that goes into building those projects. Um, so there are different financial tools out there that allow tax-exempt entities like ourselves to help bring down that uh, that cost of capital. This, of course, in turn helps us bring down our costs uh, and rates relative to profit-seeking uh, utilities. That makes perfect sense. And it's amazing that you were able to <laughs> to explain that so well in such a short amount of time. That was really, really helpful. Lori, I love some of the programs that I see on the San Jose Clean Energy website. One of them that I think is really exciting is that you're working to help low-income residents purchase new or used electric vehicles. And I'd love for you to talk to us about that and some of your other programs to help make electric vehicles more accessible to all. Yeah, thank you. That's that's such a great question. And I think one of the really main benefits of CCAs all across California is that we are very close to our community. So our ability to really um, help our communities decarbonize and purchase electric vehicles is really important and something that we can really accelerate quickly because of those close connections. So here in Silicon Valley, we're really proud that we have one of the highest EV adoption rates in the country, but we know that that's not evenly spread among our diverse communities. So since our launch, we've been very focused on um, improving equity and making sure the benefits of clean vehicles and EV technologies are, are shared across our community. And one of the main ways we do that, as you mentioned, um, is really informing our community about the benefits and the cost of EVs. You know, something that I hear at our community events quite often is, you know, Lori, that's great. You know, an EV, they immediately think of some of the luxury, more expensive cars like the Tesla, but they feel that that's really out of reach for them. And, you know, I think one of the great things that CCAs can do is really educate our, our customers that there's so many more options out there. So, we have a lot of tools on our website to, to you know, really connect customers to 
um, electric vehicles that, you know, really could be quite affordable for them and in many cases much more affordable than a similar gas-powered vehicle. And then we translate that into really great graphics. So we just show... um, you know, examples of a certain family. So, for example, on our website, we have an example of, you know, a single person, Maria. She makes about $28,000 a year is in that low-income category and uh, connects her to vehicles that may be appropriate and a, a program that we promote a lot called Clean Cars for All, which is a program through the Bay Area uh, management district that provides rebates to um, incentivize people to uh, get rid of their older, um, mm-hmm. you know, gasoline-powered cars and invest in an EV. So in this example, she could get a 2014 Chevy Volt, mm-hmm. about you know just over thirteen thousand, and that yep. Clean Cars for All grant would provide ninety five hundred and an incentive for her, so that the cost is just under four thousand dollars. That's but awesome. we know that's also not going far enough, and they also need financing tools. So we've done a lot of work connecting them to financing tools to even help finance that that purchase price for a new EV. So something that we work on uh, quite a lot, and it's really important to our community to make sure that we're we're ensuring all of our community can participate in those benefits. I love that. That's so encouraging, Lori. And Jan, I want to bring you in because I know that in October of 2020, the uh, Peninsula Clean Energy joined some other CCAs to contribute to EV infrastructure in the state of California. Talk to us about that joint project. Sure. Um, So this is a project to install thousands of electric vehicle charging stations in our local counties here. Um, as, as Howard mentioned, I believe transportation is the highest contributor of greenhouse gases in this, these two counties. Burning gasoline and diesel in our cars and trucks generates lots of, of greenhouse gas emissions. So if we want to bring these emissions down, we need to accelerate the transition to an electric transportation system. And to make this work, there's a big need to increase the number of EG, EV charging stations to make this happen. So uh, we did a joint project with three CCAs, us, uh, Silicon Valley and San Jose, as well as two municipal utilities, the city of Palo Alto and Silicon Valley, which serves the city of Santa Clara. And a total of $63 million in funds will be dispersed over the next four years for these charging station installations. So we all uh, applied and received incentive funds from the California Energy Commission under a program called the California Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Project, or CAL-EVIP. And for us at Peninsula Clean Energy in San Mateo County, we received $12 million from the California Energy Commission, and then we're matching that with another $16 million of our own funds for a total of $28 million dollars to install 3,500 charging stations in San Mateo County over the next four years. Wow. And then another $35 million of funds from Cali VIP and the four Santa Clara County agencies are being invested for EV charging stations in Santa Clara County. So I know I was throwing out a lot of different numbers there. No, but anyway, but it's a so lot of exciting. money that we're uh, investing to make it easy and convenient for people to transition to electric vehicles. And mm-hmm. uh, not only are they, they cleaner to, to drive, they're really fun to drive, and they're yeah, way yeah. less expensive <laughs> to operate. 
That is so true. That's so true. My husband made the jump to a Chevy Volt in 2014, and um, I can I can attest to all of those facts. Uh, less maintenance, uh, get up and go. They they take off like nobody's business, and uh, they are really fun to drive. Garish, I want to bring you on because I know that Silicon Valley Clean Energy is working with Peninsula Clean Energy on something called a Reach Code Initiative, and I'd love to have you talk to us about that. Thanks. Um, as we talked about buildings, are about 30% of emissions, uh, and we want to lower those emissions. And in California, every three years, every city has to adopt updated building codes. So a REACH code is essentially a better building code, and each city would have to adopt something greater than the baseline that the state basically says that every city has to adopt. So that's why it's reaching beyond the baseline. And in order to do that, you have to go through some um, uh, technical processes and analyses, and that's what the two of us have done in helping our 34 cities combined to basically go through that process. As of today, we have 20 of our 34 cities have adopted REACH codes. And essentially, these reach codes promote more electrification. And the benefits of that, especially for new buildings, is that you keep your costs lower than if you have mixed fuels and you reduce pollution. So it's an overall win-win. And uh, we focused on new buildings so far. And the next phase of what we'll be working on would be existing buildings. That is that is incredible. And I think, you know, for a lot of us who are, you know, just learning what community choice aggregators are, um, you know, it's so much more than just procuring clean energy. And that's really, really um, great to know. I mean, when people are, are looking at joining this and when, when other communities may be looking to either form one or to, to join an existing CCA, these are the kind of projects that really drive home this idea of community benefit. Um, it's not just cheaper green energy. It's so much more. Thank you for sharing that. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more Go Green Radio, so don't go away, folks. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We're going to go right to Howard Chong with the East Bay Community um, Energy, uh, EBCE. I know that back in July of 2020, EBCE partnered with two other community choice aggregators to install solar and battery backup power to six thousand households that are vulnerable to emergency power shutoffs during wildfire season. And Howard, I would love to have you talk to us more about this fantastic program. Absolutely. This is a program we call Resilient Home, and it's something that we're really proud of. Uh, Even prior to creating this JPA, uh, CCAs have always looked to collaborate. And this is a great example where EBCE has partnered with Silicon Valley Clean Energy, Peninsula Clean Energy, and a non-CCA, Silicon Valley Power, which is a municipal utility. Uh, And we initiated a program last year with Sunrun to install residential solar and storage battery backup on single-family and multi-family homes across all of our territories. Uh, We've since been enrolling customers and have seen a tremendous amount of interest. And one can certainly understand why, given the wildfire risks that Californians have had to deal with now year after year. I think families want to invest in battery backup and be less reliant on the grid. Uh, This can allow homes to still have power during those pesky public service power shutdowns that PG&E has had to call now repeatedly uh, due to those wildfire risks. What's even better is that we offer an incentive to customers of $1,250 because we can benefit as well from utilizing those battery units to help reduce demand and reduce stress on the grid during certain peak hours. So the Resilient Home Program is, is really something that CCAs have led the way on innovating. It's a, it's a great example of not just how we bring good monetary value to our customers, but of how CCAs can be more effective in understanding our customers and bringing them the energy products that they want and need, and to do so uh, rather quickly uh, and bring those to market. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can certainly find more information on our website. I'm sure the other CCAs have that as well. Ours is at ebce.org slash resilient dash home. Well, and resilient is a word we use a lot, but after what we've seen this week in Texas, redundancy, we have to remember that's a big part of resilience Um, and being able to get your electricity from multiple sources if one of those sources goes down. And and Lori, you know, this week we've all learned more than we ever thought we would about Texas's infrastructure and energy infrastructure. What are some of the lessons that you and your members are taking from this situation? And how do you think this will inform the work that San Jose Clean Energy and the new JPA will do to ensure that this doesn't happen in California? Yeah, it's such an important question and and definitely something that is on all of our minds. Just heartbreaking to see those images out of Texas. Um, But I think one of the main things is that, you know, we really need to prepare for more extreme weather. Um, It's something certainly, you know, we're seeing in Texas right now, but we've also seen in California um, over the summer, you know, we had a, a pretty extreme heat wave across all of the western United States that impacted California 
very significantly. And so it's something that, you know, we all need to really pay attention to and make sure that our infrastructure is being built in a very resilient way that takes into account these extreme weather events. And, you know, I think going forward, um, it's really important to prepare for that. I would say in terms of CCAs, you know, we take this so seriously. As Howard said, we not only have programs to really help prepare our customers, you know, at San Jose Clean Energy, we have a, a whole website on backup power options and different technologies that can help them in our public safety power shutoffs. But I would say also CC power, you know, is focusing on um, long duration storage is another example of how CCAs are really problem solving and innovating to bring solutions to this very important problem. So, you know, by procuring longer duration storage to find technologies to decarbonize and yet still meet those evening demand needs that we all know will be there and maybe actually more extreme in the coming years due to climate change and, and these extreme weather events. So really important to be forward thinking about that. But also I think it's really important to have the right regulatory structures in place that incentivize, um, you know, local communities to really be a part of the solution and really help innovate and also drive affordability. It's really important that, you know, we keep an eye on that. We know energy costs are, are you know, a, a huge part of people's expenses and something that, you know, I think... CCAs are very um, attuned to and, and very focused on and very accountable to our communities. So I think it's important to allow CCAs to really drive solutions and be innovative and come up with new technologies and new programs and as well as um, additional projects that really can drive resiliency and bring those benefits that we all know are so important to our communities. You know, we all expect reliable power and Mm -hmm. that's something that we need to make sure is there. Um, And, you know, I think that's one of the really important things of CCAs is that we are so accountable to our local communities. Mm -hmm. That's that's well said. Thanks, Lori. Jan, I want to go to you. What are your thoughts on resiliency for the California grid in the 21st century? What do we need to be doing now to ensure resiliency in the future? Uh, thanks, Jill. Uh, re- you know, resiliency means that, that customers have an option, a contingency option in the event of a power failure, and I think what we're seeing is that it's important that these options be local and that it be distributed throughout the whole area as opposed to relying on a centralized solution. And, uh, you know, more extreme weather events are likely as climate change has greater and greater impacts, and we talked about what happened in California last year with our extreme heat storm. We're seeing what's happening in Texas, and, you know, this is going to continue. So when we look at energy infrastructure, we need to consider these extreme weather events and make sure that we have local solutions. So Howard talked about the one program we're working on together, which is installing the solar plus battery backup systems on single-family homes. We're working on another program with East Bay Clean Energy to look at critical facilities in our jurisdictions like fire stations or police stations, community centers, and how can we provide a clean energy solution so that there's battery backup power that's clean that can power these facilities if there's a power outage. And then last summer at Peninsula Clean Energy, we put together a program to provide free portable batteries to medically vulnerable customers 
who mm. had been affected by the power shutoffs that PG&E does when there's um, mm-hmm. extreme wind, so that they have electricity to power their medical devices to keep them alive. So oh, it's really that. important, and we had yeah. a lot of customers being very thankful that we were able to do that for them. And I'll, I'll put in our pitch for our our, our uh, website, which, which is peninsulacleanenergy.com, and you can learn about all of this on our website. And I think, you know, also working together, we can look at innovation. And one of the mm-hmm. things that I think might be really exciting is to harness the power in the batteries of those electric vehicles that are sitting at our homes. Mm-hmm. And is there a way that we can make it easy and inexpensive to harness that power and send that power into our home if the power is out? So, Interesting. Um, yeah. So That's a really cool that we innovation. can do working together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking of innovation, Garish, I want to give you a chance to talk about um, Silicon Valley Clean Energy's innovation on-ramp. How are you encouraging innovation? Thanks, Jill. So we're in such a unique place here at Silicon Valley to encourage innovation. So we have a three-phase program to encourage ideation, prototyping, and commercialization. And so we provide up to $20,000 for seed round projects, $75,000 for proofs of concept, and $100,000 for demonstration projects. I'll give you an example of two projects that um, have been uh, really cutting edge. One is Data Hive. And we partnered with this company called Utility API, where we can securely share customer data in less than 60 seconds, a customer can actually provide a contractor who may be interested in providing uh, solar installations or EV charging installations, and it basically removes the friction of a contractor getting customer data so they can provide these services. Wow, so We have Harish. more than 100 contractors that have signed up already. That and is more amazing. Recently, yeah. So, that is amazing. Anyway, so again, we yeah. And yep. So and, and you we know what? I wish that we could. On our website. <laughs> you want to give us your website real quick? SVCleanEnergy.org. Yeah, <laughs> slash innovation. Slash innovation. You know what? I wish we had another hour. I have loved having the four of you on. And thank you so much for being with us and explaining this um, incredible news about the new JPA that your community choice aggregators have formed. We'll look for more good news coming in the future. I want to say thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.